Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk football, you know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Happy Thanksgiving, PGF Nation. Hope you guys have a great holiday weekend and hope you guys checked out the Thanksgiving Day Games betting preview bonus episode. But today, I've got some NFL news and rumors about players and coaches that I want to address. Is it over for Zach Wilson? One team is waving the white flag and guest Braden Gall from ESPN Radio and Athlon Sports is on to talk college football rivalry Saturday in the college football playoff. A lot more to get to, so let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, let's jump right into the big story right now that everyone's talking about. Zach Wilson gets benched. Head coach Robert Sala of the Jets, when asked about it by the media, said, quote, Zach's career here is not over. I know that's going to be the narrative. He then went on to say, that's not even close to the case. He later said, the young man needs a reset. And this is not putting a nail in his coffin, end quote. I saw that RG3 said on Twitter that the casket is closed. Apparently, he doesn't buy into what Robert Sala is selling here. If this isn't the nail in the coffin for Zach Wilson, then... They already have their hammer in hand here because it's starting to seem like it's a lot closer to the end than people realize. Now, let's talk about Zach Wilson here because this guy's been terrible. There's really no way around it. But this benching is going to be one of those things. It's going to be really hard for this guy to come back from this. 20 starts. That's all he's had so far in the NFL. And it might be already time for the Jets to move on. He hasn't shown any improvement. Actually, it's been the opposite. It seems like he's actually regressed as a player. But I think what's really hurt Zach Wilson's stock is his lack of accountability. When he insisted last week that he hadn't let the defense down, this is the defense that the Jets have right now that's a top five defense in the entire NFL. GM Joe Douglas has done a really good job. He's hit on a bunch of draft picks. He's really built this team around Zach Wilson. But if if Zach Wilson isn't the franchise quarterback, none of that matters. It doesn't matter that you hit on all these other draft picks if you miss on the quarterback that you took second overall last season. Now, look, you guys know I didn't really like Zach Wilson that much coming out of BYU. We did the draft prep on this guy. I wasn't a huge fan of what I saw from Zach Wilson. I thought he had a lot of holes in his game. But quite frankly, it's been way worse than even I expected. 
like I said, Joe Douglas has done a really nice job with this team. This Jets team has a lot of pieces in place, but I don't think that they can go into next year with Zach Wilson under center. I just don't think it can happen. I think they have to move on. They've got to pivot away from Zach Wilson and start thinking about the future here. There's questions about his leadership, his accountability, his maturity, and quite frankly, on the field, just reading defenses. Safety Kyle Duggar of the Patriots said, all you have to do against Wilson is show him any kind of disguised coverage. This is a guy who cannot read an NFL defense. Apparently, he can't read a room either. Hard to believe how quickly it's gone south for Zach Wilson, but I think it's over for him in New York. So ESPN is reporting that Sean Payton is keeping an eye on two potential head coach openings, LA Chargers and the Arizona Cardinals. Now, this is a story that we've kind of talked about. We've talked about this on earlier episodes. I talked about the fact that we knew the door was going to open back up for Sean Payton and that he was going to get back into coaching sooner than later. I actually mentioned the Chargers a while back as a potential landing spot for Sean Payton. I think it is the perfect fit for him. And I think it's safe to say that Brandon Staley is doing very little to hold on to that job right now. If he was to go to the Chargers or Arizona or any NFL team for that matter, any team would have to give the Saints compensation since he's still under contract with the Saints. Knowing how cheap the Chargers owner Dean Spanos is, that could be a no-go. I mean, quite frankly, this guy is notoriously cheap and that could be a roadblock for getting him in LA. You look at Arizona, Kingsbury recently signed an extension there. It's going to be really interesting to see if he ends up getting fired at the end of the year. Things have really gone off the rails in Arizona. We've talked about them a lot. For me, the choice is easy here. This is a no-brainer. LA would be the perfect fit. I've talked about it on here. I think it'd be the perfect fit for Sean Payton. I think he knows it. You have a generational talent in Justin Herbert, a young player that hasn't even reached his prime yet. They've got a better roster than Arizona. What Sean Payton would be able to do with a guy like him in this roster would be absolutely amazing to see what he could do in LA. Quite frankly, I'm rooting for it because I think it would be a lot of fun. All right, some more NFL news I want to touch on here. Apparently, Aaron Rodgers has been playing with a broken thumb for the past six weeks. It's been listed on the injury report, so we knew he had a thumb injury because it's been on there, but we didn't know that it was broken. He's now made it public that his thumb apparently is broken, and he's been playing through it for several weeks now. Now, look, I believe him when he says it's broken. I think it's really convenient that all of a sudden, now that the wheels have completely come off in Green Bay and people are saying that he's washed, he should hang it up. Look, I'm not saying that, but it's out there. That all of a sudden, now he tends to mention, oh, by the way, my thumb has been broke for six weeks. This is just typical Aaron Rodgers. And like, look, I love Aaron Rodgers as a player. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's an all-time legend. He's a lot of fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. But man, the off the field stuff with Aaron Rodgers has been exhausting. And this is just one more thing that I'm just really tired of when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. Like I said, just typical Aaron Rodgers behavior. The team is garbage. He's playing like garbage. And now all of a sudden, now he wants to come out and tell everybody about his broken thumb. It's just kind of ridiculous. So Matt Stafford is out for week 12 with a neck injury. 
The Rams also waived running back Daryl Henderson. He was actually the Rams' leading rusher this season. He led the team with three rushing touchdowns as well. And on top of that, the buzz about Sean McVay potentially leaving for an NFL broadcast job is starting to get more legs here in the news. I'm starting to hear more and more stories about him potentially leaving at the end of the season. It's really starting to feel like the Rams are waving the white flag here. Now, I said a couple weeks ago on this podcast that the Super Bowl window has closed. Well, it's not only closed, it feels like it's slammed shut with a lock on it because when you trade away all your draft picks and you go all in on expensive veteran players, this is what happens. This is what I said was happening. It's happened. There's no quick fix right now for this team. There's nothing they can do right now because of what they've done to build this team. They are in a really bad position right now because Stafford looks like he's at the end of his career You've got all these big contracts and no draft picks. Now you've got a coach that wants to be in the broadcast booth. Look, this team is going to suck for a while. I really think it's not only over. I think this team is going to be really bad for the next few years. They went all in and they won a Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. I mean, maybe it was worth it. And if you're a Rams fan, maybe getting that ring was worth having some bad years here for a while. I mean, there's a lot of teams, the Detroit Lions, the Bills, the Cleveland Browns. I mean, there's a lot of teams right now that would absolutely do anything for just one Super Bowl ring. So I get it. I'm not being critical in that sense. But this is the price you pay when you are aggressive and you make the kind of moves that the Rams have made in the last couple of years. Speaking of the Rams, former Ram OBJ is apparently, according to reports, that he's either going to join the Giants or the Cowboys. We've also been tracking this story here because apparently he's going to meet with both teams after the Thanksgiving Day game. This decision, I think, is going to tell us a lot about his priorities right now because you look at the Dallas Cowboys. This is an NFC contender that's thinking win now. They have enough pieces to get to the top. They have enough pieces to be a legit Super Bowl threat, but they have a hole at the number two wide receiver spot behind CeeDee Lamb. And when you look at the Giants, They're probably the best story in the NFL this year. The future looks bright for the Giants. There's no doubt about that. But the key word is future. This is a really well-coached team. I think we all agree Brian Dayball has done an incredible job with them. This team is headed in the right direction. But they aren't built to win yet. And especially at the wide receiver position, they've been really lean at that position. And now you factor in all the injuries. They practically have nobody out there for Daniel Jones to throw the ball to. OBJ would instantly become the number one guy for New York. So the question becomes, like I said, where are OBJ's priorities? Does he want to be a number one guy and go back to New York? Or does he want to be a number two guy and maybe play for a ring? I think it's going to be Dallas because he didn't mind being the number two guy behind Cooper Cup last year, and it paid off. He ended up getting a ring. I think he's going to try it again. All right, the Twitter poll question of the week. Once again, at PGF Podcast on Twitter. If you guys want to get involved, I love interacting with you guys. I love doing these poll questions, getting your guys' thoughts on different questions around the NFL and college football. After last Monday Night Football, the game between the 49ers and the Cardinals, a game where the Niners just destroyed Arizona. I asked you guys on Twitter, are the 49ers Super Bowl contenders? 62% said yes, 38% said no. 
had almost 120 votes so far on this. So a lot of you guys weighed in on this one. Look, this is a team I've been talking about a lot here the last couple of weeks because I not only think that they're contenders, I think they're the best team in the NFC right now. No disrespect to Philly, but I trust Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, a team that has been there and done that more than a team in Philadelphia who has one playoff game with Jalen Hurts and they got destroyed. Now look, Hurts has improved since last season, no doubt about it, and so has that roster. They've made a lot of moves to improve the roster, and they're a good football team, but the Niners' offense right now is just a different animal since they signed Christian McCaffrey. Now, the Vikings are good. They're a good team, but they just got killed last week by Dallas, and I just don't think that roster is as good top to bottom as the 49ers are right now. The 49ers, like I mentioned, you add Christian McCaffrey to all the weapons they have with Kittle and Debo and Brandon Ayuk is having a career year. Jimmy Garoppolo is playing some of his best football. The offensive line for the 49ers is really high level. They even have the best fullback in the NFL right now. And with Kyle Shanahan pulling the strings, this team is dangerous on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, the 49ers are also giving up the fewest yards per game by a pretty wide margin in the NFL right now. They're first in rushing yards per game allowed and fourth in points per game allowed. This might just be the most complete team in the NFL, and they are 100% a Super Bowl contender. All right, time for the college football week 12 helmet sticker. Now, this one was tough. A lot of big-time performances last Saturday, but the helmet sticker is going to go to Notre Dame cornerback Benjamin Morrison. He only gave up one catch out of the six times that he was targeted. He had three interceptions. <laughs> now, that's just unbelievable. Three interceptions. Now, I had a hard time not giving the helmet sticker to South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler. I really went back and forth on this. Rattler just went completely nuts last week versus Tennessee. Six touchdowns. But here's the thing. Three interceptions in one game is absolutely nuts. Especially when you've only had the ball thrown towards your way six times. Three picks in a season is a nice season. Three in one game is just absolutely incredible. And the NFL Week 11 game ball is going to go to Cowboys running back Tony Pollard. 189 total yards and two touchdowns. 15 carries in this game. A 5.3 yards per carry average. Six targets, six catches, including a 68-yarder and a 30-yard pass play from Dak for a touchdown. Look, I've been saying it for two years on this podcast, and I had a lot of pushback from a lot of people on social media when I said Tony Pollard is clearly the best running back on this team. Why Tony Pollard and Zeke are splitting carries evenly is only because Dallas is desperately trying to justify for overpaying for Zeke, who's clearly past his prime right now. Pollard was the best player on the field last Sunday in Minnesota. This guy put on an absolute show, and there is no reason why he should not be getting the lion's share of carries in Dallas. Now, took a short break, but this week, the pick six is going to be on Twitter again. If you're not following on Twitter, be sure to go to at PGF Podcast. Give the show a follow. I'm going to post 
my pick six betting picks like we normally do on the show. I've been kind of doing it a little more on social media. It's just a little bit easier because there's so many things that I want to talk about on the show and it takes a lot of time to do that. And so it's just been a little easier to post those picks on there. So be sure to follow me on there if you're not already to get the pick six betting picks. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Excited to be joined by Braden Gall of ESPN Radio, Athlon Sports, and the owner of 440 Sports. Braden, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Uh, always, always a pleasure. Good to be here and uh, happy to talk ball for sure. Yeah, excited to talk some ball with you. Now, I mentioned where people can find your work, but you're also a host of one of the best college football podcasts out there for Athlon Sports, Cover 2 College Football Pod. When you guys are done listening here, be sure, if you haven't already, go check out his podcast. Hit that subscribe button. He has got a great show over there, all things college football. And I'm excited to talk some college football with you today as well. Before we jump into the games, we've got some big games I want to dive into and get your thoughts on. I want to get your thoughts on this. I read an article recently. It got me thinking. I'd love to to get your thoughts on this. Jimbo Fisher, Mel Tucker, and Mario Cristobal. They all signed contracts worth a reported $250 million. Here we are one year later. Those three coaches have a combined 14 and 19 record. With the amount of guaranteed coaching money just flying around the sport right now, do you think that we could see programs maybe pump the brakes a bit on these massive guaranteed contracts, at least somewhat going forward? Man, that's a that is a, that's a great question because um, where there is the chance to to find glory and win championships, and there are people who have lots of money, when those two things come together, generally uh, it doesn't equal like slowing down or to your point, brake pumping. I, I think it's it's you know the Mel Tucker hire in the first place. I thought was listen, it's it's one of those hires where I was dead wrong because I thought it was a questionable hire. Then he was great, and I was I was dead wrong about it. And and now I feel more right about it, but it's like it's not. It's more because I just can't tell what the the right strategy is. Like Mario Cristobal, for example, we we know that w- what sort of the mo on his or like the the you know the the Wikipedia page or the dossier on him, which is really really great recruiter, really great part of a staff, was not a particularly great head coach in his first stop in in what was the Sun Belt at the time, and built a lot of really talented pieces in the Oregon program, but you know, lost a couple of games, got his, got his butt kicked by Utah a few times and then left to go be at Miami. Jimbo's the the tougher one because he's got the ring. And what that covers up is that it was a total mess at Florida state when he left. And now it's starting to feel more like 2013, the national title in 2020 when A&M was one spot away from the playoff, that those are the exceptions, not the rule. So I, Cristobal has a little bit more. Like it's almost like we have a, a lot of body of work for Jimbo, some body of work for Cristobal, and not much for Mel Tucker. And to your point, all three of them have major questions. And so I don't know, man. If you if, if Auburn can get Lane Kiffin and they're going to give him a hundred million guaranteed, and Auburn boosters want to write checks that out of bank accounts that 
you know, those are rounding errors, you know, <laughs> like you, you, you say 250 million, that, that's like a rounding error for like Jimmy Haslam. <laughs> you know, like there's some people that that's not even, you know, people don't even blink at that amount of money. So I don't know, man. I think when, when you combine passion for success in college football with a really, really, really large bank account, I don't know if we're ever going to see an end to it. And maybe you're right. Maybe we should be stepping back and saying, eh, I don't know about these hundred million dollar guaranteed deals because there are a lot of questions about Mel Tucker, Mario Cristobal, and Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you hit it on the head. Jimbo comes in with the success he had at Florida State. It almost felt like a guaranteed lock of a hire. It felt like, okay, we're getting a guy who's a proven winner. He's going to take Texas A&M to new heights. Obviously, it's been a huge disappointment there. Mario Cristobal, in year one, it's been pretty disappointing, but I feel like there's going to be some leeway here to to see what he can do in year two and going forward. But I'm with you on Cristobal, though. When we watched what he did at Oregon, great recruiter, like you touched on, had some big-time success bringing in a lot of big-time talent to that program. But the X's and O's part of the game, some of the in-game right. management and in-game decisions were head-scratching. I think it cost Oregon some wins here and there throughout his time there. And so there's some questions there. And obviously, we've seen kind of a rocky start to, to his uh, tenure there at Miami. Mel Tucker felt like a guy who really overachieved almost and then became a hot name in, in coaching circles. And I think Michigan State was quick to be like, let's throw the bag at him. We need to yep. keep this guy before yep. a, a bigger program comes and scoops him away. Now it almost looks like that's backfired a little bit. So it, it is interesting. They're all kind of different, but but similar in the sense that they're just huge amounts of money flying around. And you're right. The sport is just printing cash. And these programs are just flush with boosters and people that are willing to pay. So I don't see yeah. it slowing down, but it almost could be a cautionary tale just to a certain degree. I, I think it is for a program like Michigan State and because of this, the, the way Mel Tucker was building the program. I think those are two different those are two different aspects cuz like my, you could argue Miami and A&M they have everything they need to win national titles so they probably should be competing for them. So it's okay to spend like one of them, right? And frankly, what's weird about Jimbo Fisher is he has he's accomplished kind of everything else he's supposed to. Like I, you use the word disappointment and while that is technically true for the amount of money they're spending, they were one spot from making the playoff. They are recruiting they are out recruiting Nick Saban in Alabama who can say they can that, that they've done that. They've won, they're winning eight, nine games. Now this year, it's a total dumpster fire. But up until this point, there was nothing to suggest that it wasn't a success. It wasn't the success they wanted. National championships, not yet. Cristobal, I think I have faith in him recruiting a roster that will be one of the ACC's best over time. I feel comfortable with saying that that's what he's going to do. But to your point, what happens when the ball's in the air and they've got to you know make adjustments in the third quarter because someone's stopping X, Y, or Z scheme and it's not working? Tucker's different. Michigan State doesn't have the same recruiting base or history of, of A&M and Miami. They don't have the same access to players. He was going about building his team in a different way, which was like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, to be honest, which is like diving into the portal to like fill giant gaping holes in the program. Like to me, that was the one that was the anomaly that you should not like. That's the cautionary tale to me. Now, I want to shift to a program that is still alive for the college football playoff, number six LSU, but it, it's basically they're in a situation where they're going to need to win out to get in. Now, they play Texas A&M program that we just mentioned this week. They're 10-point favorites. I'm a little surprised that they aren't heavier favorites in this one. Now, I've I heard on your podcast recently that you've been pretty hot with your picks, so not only would I like to hear your thoughts on this game, but if you could give us a betting pick here as well, I'd oh, love God. that. I, I wouldn't touch this one. 
And I, I think part of it is there's a couple things like gambling on rivalry week is just a bad strategy. Rivalry week, crazy weird stuff happens. Players play differently. Teams play differently. Coaches coach differently. It's, it's not quite bowl game insanity, but it's close. LSU, if they play the way they're supposed to, is clearly a better team. You know, does Texas A&M have the horses on the defensive line to match up with LSU's offensive line? Probably. And that's their major concern. What optimism, what reason do you have to think that all of a sudden A&M is going to click on offense and start playing well against a really good LSU defensive line? So I, I think LSU is the clear favorite. But to the rivalry point of this all, I don't think people outside of the region, even in like other parts of the SEC, I don't think they give enough credit to how much A&M and LSU hate each other way, way, way before A&M joined the SEC. And now since they've played in the SEC, those games have been literally the, the, the wildest we've ever seen. I would not put A&M out for playing their best game of the season and making it a really, really impossible fight for LSU, making it a rock fight, dirtying it up a little bit, some penalties early, you know, make it real ugly. I think that's totally possible. Now, I think Jaden Daniels and the offense does enough to make plays to win the game. And to your question about the playoff, I they would have to beat Georgia. I still don't even know if beating Georgia convinces me that they're one of the four best teams in America. But the more and more I watch college football each week this year, the more and more I see one team that belongs in the playoff and nobody else. So I, I do not see LSU, who I believe is a 16-point underdog against Georgia for the SEC championship game. I, I would not bet on them against A&M. I would not bet on them against Georgia. And I'm not sure I'd bet on anybody else against Georgia. Yeah, it's a great point because you're right. Georgia has really separated themselves from everybody else in college football. They are the true defending champ, and they look every bit like the defending champ yeah. and just head and shoulders above everybody else. And and I, I threw LSU in there because I think it is an interesting game to keep an eye on. I think the likelihood of LSU running the table is, is pretty low, obviously. But I do think it would be really tough for the committee to keep out an SEC champion you know, even a two-loss team, I feel like it would be really tough for them to look the other way. But just on its surface, do you think, let's say they beat Georgia, do you think, I mean, I know there's a million other things that could happen, but do you believe that they're one of the four best teams in college football? And I just have a tough time looking at LSU's everything and analyzing LSU's everything and saying, man, that's one of the four best teams in college football. That, that's hard for me to do. I don't think so. I think they're definitely a top 10 type of team. I think they're a really good program right now under Brian Kelly. I, I love what I've seen from this team, but I, I'm with you. I don't see him as a top four, but I also, to your point a minute ago, the rest of college football kind of feels like a, a scrambled mess here of trying to figure out who really belongs. You know, nothing against TCU who we'll, jump, we'll get to here in a minute, but I don't really, I'm not really quite sure they're, one of the four best teams in college football, but they're undefeated. And so if they run the table, clearly they're going to get in and they deserve to be. Don't, don't get me wrong. If they, if they pull that off, I think they deserve it, but it's just a weird year where you kind of feel like we talked about, like Georgia is just so head and shoulders, the class of college football. And then you've got this big group of just really good teams where they're, they're all very good and they all have yeah. an argument to be made, but None of them feel like you could look at their resume, look at the eye test, however you want to look at it, and be like, boy, that team is just a lock for the college football playoff. I feel like anything could happen these next couple of weeks, and, and it could really get messy. I mean, what's the evidence that Michigan is clearly the, one of the top four teams in college football, besides the fact that they've won all their games, which, which, I, which I acknowledge is a big deal. I, I think it's a big deal for like 1994 football and 1987 football, but... Where where's Illinois on their resume? Their second best win? I think it is. 
and it was their one of their it was probably their worst performance of the season. So I I think Michigan and Ohio State are getting the benefit of the doubt. I believe that they belong in the top four. But if you're asking me which team is more battle tested, which team has played a tougher schedule and beaten better teams, TCU has done it far better than Michigan. Michigan has been more dominant than TCU. That's obvious and clear. But if you're asking me which one in a matchup, like yeah, Blake Corum's healthy. Maybe I like Michigan to run the ball against TCU and they win and they're just that good. The problem is, is that when Michigan gets in a battle where they have to go up and down the field or they have to convert on big third and sevens, I don't trust their passing game. And this is 2022. Like you have to have a quarterback. So I don't, Michigan is, to me, Michigan's the team in, in college football that's getting the, the biggest benefit of the doubt, like sort of head nod and says, well, they, they belong in the top four. Well, but like, like who, who have they beaten that says that they belong there? And again, if, if UConn is one of your better wins, with all due respect to Jim Mora, of course, like there's nothing there on the resume for Michigan. But I still think they belong up there. I just don't know what – like two things can be true, right? Like, You're right. No, you're, you're 100% right because you, you look at the team and like you said, they, ha- they don't have that resume that you can look to and say, oh, they knocked off this top 10 team, they knocked off that top 12 team or whatever. They don't really have that resume – just to to lean on but i think a lot of it like you said a lot of it let's face it is coming back to brand it's coming back to how we view the program historically as much as we don't want that to be the case you, you look at the helmet and the history and tcu doesn't have that and i think that could be just part of it is that we're looking at tcu like yeah yeah that's a cool story but you know michigan was there recently and they have the history and 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 i just feel like that unfortunately plays a role in some of the decision-making with this. I think you're right though. Like the fact they're undefeated and just looking at maybe the eye test, the physicality that they play with and things like that. I do think they're going to be a tough out for almost anyone they play, but I agree with your point too, that from an offensive standpoint, being able to play in a shootout, I think they could be in trouble because like you said, they're, they're more of a defensive run the ball type of team, kind of an old, old school throwback type of team. And, in, yeah. in certain matchups, that could really be, you know, if they get behind early in a game and they kind of get, have to get away from the run, that could be a problem for them. I, I think what's it's a perfect example of, and I don't know why, and, and maybe I shouldn't read Twitter. It's getting worse by the day, of course. <laughs> I, I think I think that I don't know why this general concept is difficult to understand, that everybody's resume is different and they have different strengths and weaknesses. The, the sport is aligned geographically from a hundred years ago. <laughs> like that, that is how we decided our schedules in college football because of geography in like 1912, the NFL has largely even schedules. Every, all 32 teams play basically the same schedule. I don't think there's a single difference between all 32 schedules because you have very little talent gap between the best team and the worst team. Well, in college football, we know that's not true. We have massive talent gaps between the best team and the worst team. And so Michigan's strength and its resume, like just because they haven't played anybody doesn't mean they're not better than TCU. Just because TCU has played better teams doesn't mean they're better than Michigan. So it's, it's, it, it, I don't know, like it's this weird pretzel that people get their brains all twisted up into. And I don't understand why it's not hard to say, look, I think Michigan's strengths are X, Y, and Z. And here's why I like them in the top four. Here's TCU strengths, which are different than Michigan's. And here's why I like, I like them in the top four. I think the good news is, is I don't think the committee cares about the brand. I think to your, to your point, you know, when we argue on Twitter, we talk on podcasts, I think we all have implicit bias and human beings are biased by, by nature and all this other stuff. 
But I think the committee sits down and, and tries to do the best job they can. Maybe that's naive of me, but I think they do. And I don't think Michigan as a brand versus TCU as a brand is a factor. At this point, to me, TCU's resume and Michigan's resume aren't even close. But it doesn't mean that TCU is better than Michigan. We look at last Saturday. You talked about it. Michigan escapes Illinois. That was a close game. TCU escapes Baylor. USC escapes UCLA. These these games, they all set up really big games this Saturday, all for these teams that are college football playoff contenders. We talked about TCU. They play Iowa State, a 4-7 and seven Iowa State team that, despite the record, this is a team that seems to be in almost every game. Now, TCU is a 10-point favorite in this one. How do you see this game playing out? So to your point, I think that's one of the, like, this sounds weird, but it's probably one of the best four and seven teams like in the country, if not the best. Uh, this is a very well-coached team that plays hard. They, they are a bend, don't break type of defense. So they're going to keep everything in front of them. There's a reason that the undefeated 11 and 0 playing for the playoff team is only a 10 point favorite over the four games under 500 team. Like that doesn't make any sense, but that's because they know Matt Campbell's teams at Iowa state are very, very prepared, play hard, and are well-coached. So, I, look, TCU, you cannot kill them, so there's no reason to pick against them at this point. Like, if if Max Duggan, if Max Duggan had a soul, he sold it already for a berth in the Big 12 championship game and a playoff spot. Um, but because he has red hair, he doesn't have one. So uh, <laughs> for, those that, for those that watch South Park, you'll understand. Um, <laughs> I'm still a child. Don't worry about it. I'm still a child at heart. It's fine. Um, no, I... That one is tricky. Like Iowa State wants to let like, force you to drive the length of the field. It's very similar to what Baylor wants to do. Uh, although Baylor, I think, is is much stronger at the line of scrimmage, at the point of attack. They've got some NFL guys on the defensive line. I think they're more equipped to do that. I don't think Iowa State is. So, I, I again, I, that's not a game I'm gambling on. But I I think Iowa State is justified in being a ten point underdog, even though the records aren't even close. And I think. They'll make TCU work in the first half, and then in the second half, they hit a couple of big plays, especially if the skill weapons for TCU are healthy. If they have all their running backs and receivers healthy, then then I think TCU pulls away in the end. But I think Iowa State, like the whole point of their existence is to make you work for it. Like that, that's, that's everything that they do. Offense, defense, special teams, coaching, development. Does, like their, their goal in life is to make you work for it, and so they're going to make TCU work for it. Yeah, I, I love your take there because this was a team that a couple weeks ago on this podcast I mentioned circle this game and I talked about Iowa State as a potential team that could be a spoiler, a team to watch out for because like you touched on, they play tough, they're well coached, and they, despite the record, they've been in a lot of close games versus a lot of really good teams. So they're going to bring out their best game, knowing that they're going to get up for this game, knowing that they're playing an undefeated TCU team that has big aspirations. I, I like everything you said there. It's a 10-point favorite for a reason, or TCU is a 10-point favorite for a reason, I think rightfully so. I think from a betting standpoint, I like Iowa State here because I Ooh. think that I like I like getting that 10 points. I think there's value because I expect TCU to win this game, but it would not shock me at all if Iowa State really – made this game, like you said, kind of made them work for it. Maybe it's a little lower scoring than people realize. And all of a sudden yep. we look up at the end and it's a field goal type of game and yep. TCU escapes with another one. But I, I like the 10 points as far as getting value there. Cause I think like, I love your point about maybe the best Warren seven team in the country. I think you're right about that. 
And I, I think this is a really fascinating game, despite what it looks like nationally. Well, and, and how many games have TCU won by five touchdowns? Like they beat Oklahoma. <laughs> I know there's another one in there, but it's like you struggle with Texas Tech, win by 10. You struggle, you know, like there's just all TCU. This is what TCU does. They, they play down to the wire and Iowa State's love. Iowa State is very comfortable in that situation. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I, I think that's going to be a really fun one to watch. Now, last Saturday, I touched on it. USC, UCLA, this became an instant classic. USC gets a close win, and it sets up a big rivalry game versus Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a rough start to the year, but they've won five straight going into this game. Big question for me is, can Notre Dame slow down Caleb Williams in this USC offense? USC is a five-point favorite in this one. Who do you like in this game? That that number should tell you everything you need to know about Vegas. They they are begging you to take USC, uh, which means they really like Notre Dame, and that's because the style of of game and and the styles make fights. And USC's biggest concern and biggest question is going to be lining up for sixty minutes with somebody that wants to be physical. And while I thought UCLA wanted to do that last week, they sort of got like U, USC forced them out of their game, right? Because they just kept scoring in big chunk plays and big X plays, and it forced UCLA to go play a different style the way they really don't want to play. And 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 that the beauty of UCLA, why they're probably underrated, is that UCLA was capable of doing that. A couple of bad interceptions away from winning that game pretty clearly. So the key here is like USC's defensive depth and front seven, and if they can stop Notre Dame running the football, and get and change the style of the fight, then I think USC wins easily. If Notre Dame can control the clock, run the football, command the line of scrimmage, do what they've done to like North Carolina, to Clemson, to your point, they they started slowly, but they have a lot of good wins on their resume now. If they can dictate the style of the game, then this is a one possession game in the fourth quarter and Caleb Williams is gonna have to do something special to win it. If it is going to end up being higher scoring where USC can dictate what's taking place and dictate the tempo. And I love what Lincoln Riley was doing right now in the, in the, the way he's designing options for his quarterback and his ball, like putting Jordan Addison in the backfield is awesome. Like it's just fun to watch. He is making a run at a Heisman. They are making a run at a playoff spot. If there is a team in all of college football that I think might be capable of challenging Georgia offensively, not totally as a team, but just offensively, it might be USC and Caleb Williams. So let's see if Notre Dame can can control the clock and dictate tempo. And if they can, then it's a absolute dogfight down to the end. And we'll see how much physicality and how much depth USC has, because that's where I think they lose in a playoff match. I think they can score a bunch of points. I think the offense is unstoppable. The question is, do they have the pieces and the depth and the talent on defense to, to stay in a game and get stops on critical third and fourth downs in the second half? This game could end up looking a little bit like that game we saw earlier in the year. USC got in a dogfight with Oregon State. It was a low-scoring game, more of a defensive game, and we we saw Caleb Williams make a big play at the end to kind of keep Oregon State from pulling off the upset there. I, I think this is a game where Notre Dame is going to look to, like you said, they're going to look to bring their style, their physical style, and their defense to kind of slow this game down and dominate at the line of scrimmage. There's going to be some interesting matchups to watch in this because, like you said, this is two very different style of teams going at it. And that five-point spread is really telling. I think you hit on that too. 
because Vegas knows that this could be a close game. It should be a close game. This is going to be a heck of a game. I like USC here. I think like you touched on, I think the offensive firepower, the quarterback play from Caleb Williams, the play calling from Lincoln Riley, I think at the end they're going to be able to prevail in this one because of that. But I think this is going to be a really fun one, and it's going to be a big hurdle for USC if they're going to end up getting to that college football playoff. They're going to have to get by these guys because this is going to be a fun one. Do you have? I know you've been staying away from the rivalry bets, but do you have a bet here that you like? <laughs> I, I like USC, but like again, their only defeat is on a two-point conversion where they had a huge lead on the road against Utah. Utah had to score on, I think, five of the last six possessions to do that. So you have to sustain long drives against USC. That, that's how you change the tempo and the style of the game. You have to sustain long drives, but you have to do it over and over and over. And the only team that's done it is Utah. And that was at home in one of the most hostile environments in all of college football with a, an, a, a veteran quarterback and a powerful running attack. You show me the veteran quarterback here for, for Notre Dame. I think I give all the credit to Marcus Freeman for how they've bounced back, especially after the bad start. But I think I think USC's playing for a different stratosphere of of competition but man i this is one of those where i have no idea like i I like usc i like laying the points i like the trojans to get to the big pac-12 championship game i like them to win the pac-12 title game and i think they get into the playoff i've been kind of saying that for a couple of a couple of weeks now and everybody seems to be focused on like tcu and tennessee and michigan and i'm like no no no, guys or clemson even no it's uh it's usc usc is the team that's going to get in yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've been riding that train all year long. I was actually early on this train because coming into the year, I had USC much higher than most people. A lot of people in the preseason were talking about, well, give Lincoln Riley a year or two and they're going to be good. I said, no, no, no. Look at what he's done. Look at the transfers he's brought in. Look how quickly he's flipped this roster. I, I was saying that this could be a year they make the college football year one. And I got a lot of pushback on social media, but here they are knocking on the door and I'm not going to jump off that train. Now I'm with you. I think, <laughs> I think USC has the talent. I think they've got the path here. It's not an easy path because they're going to have to get by this uh, Notre Dame team. That's playing a lot better. Like we touched on, they're probably going to have to get by a really talented Oregon team in the Pac-12 title game. So it's not going to be easy by any stretch, but I think they can do it because the, like you said, they're just playing at a different level right now. And their offense is just so, so tough to stop. Now, the last game I want to touch on, of course, is one of the best rivalries in college football. We talked about Michigan, but this rivalry takes center stage this week. It's Michigan-Ohio State, of course, both undefeated, both fighting for a spot in that college football playoff. There have really only been a few games in the history of this rivalry with stakes as high as this. Ohio State is right now is going to be a seven-and-a-half point favorite. What are you going to be watching for in this game? What are you going to be looking for in particular in this matchup? So this sounds super weird, but body language on Ohio State's defense in the first three to four possessions. There, This is going to be, again, this is super weird because I think Ohio State's the better team. Ohio State's more balanced. They have more talent. They're at home. They have the revenge motivation on their side. The winner plays for the championship in the Big Ten and in, and is going to make the playoff. So it's 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 interesting that I feel like there needs to be some questions answered by Ohio State for me. And that is there was a play and I don't remember exactly when it took place in the game last year. But when you've been beaten down by your rival for so long that something happens and it happened last year a little bit of you know the weather was a little hostile the the you know Michigan was at home two things that may not be the case this year. But there was a run where Hassan Haskins 
just goes off tackle, picks up like nine yards, and he and he he doesn't look to like break a tackle or avoid a tackle, and he looked to destroy an Ohio State safety. He ran over him, and he gets up, and every single lineman like runs to his side. They're all doing the like rah 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 thing, and they're hitting each other in the head, and all this great stuff. And it was this like it didn't it wasn't a big play. It was like a nine yard run, but there was an attitude about it. There was a, we are going to physically dominate you today because you have owned us for seven or eight straight years and we are tired of it. And I want to know how much of that translates to this game. Because Michigan is the bigger, more physical team that's going to try to run the football. Ohio State has had weird inconsistencies this season, but they are far more talented. They have a far more explosive and balanced offense. They are at home. They should win the game. But if Michigan comes out in the first two or three series and they have these long, sustained power formation, power football drives where Ohio State's defense, like looking around at the end of a drive, like, like what do we do here? Why, why is this happening? Look for the body language on Ohio State's defense. That's the thing. If they, if they are flying around and they're aggressive and they take the fight to Michigan, they will win. They will win the Big Ten Championship and they'll get to the playoff. And they'll probably make it to the national title game. If they if they are still not there yet on that side of the ball and Michigan just lines up and says, look, y'all know what's coming and you can't stop us, then that's where I think Michigan actually could go in there and win. Uh, so I, I think it's play Michigan on the money line or don't play it at all. That, that would be my advice. So I, I think Ohio State's a better team. I think they're at home. This is, to me, where we find out about Ryan Day because I know about Jim Harbaugh. I think Jim Harbaugh is a really great coach. I don't think he's ever going to win a national title, but I think he's a great coach. I don't know how good Ryan Day is. He's been outcoached in almost every big game of his career. Almost every single one. Every playoff game, they got destroyed. Like Other than that one really great game against Clemson, right? Trevor Lawrence, where it was like really awesome and back and forth, and it was a great playoff game. Other than that one, like playoff games, like when his team's not just clearly better, he's had some problems. And so this is a prove-it moment for for Ryan Day for me, which is you are the better team, you have the better quarterback, you have the better offense, you're at home, you have more motivation, you have the revenge, Ohio State should win the football game. If they don't and the body language is bad, to me that says a lot about Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh. Man, I'll tell you what, I I just got goosebumps, man. You got me fired up for this one. That is such <laughs> a spot-on take. I absolutely love everything you said about that take because you're right. You look at Ohio State, they're the more talented team. They're the offensively more gifted team. They've got more playmakers. They check all those boxes. And like you said, they're going to be at home, the revenge factor. All those boxes are checked. But the one that you touched on that I think is brilliant is the coaching matchup here. And I think that really matters because Ohio State's the more talented team, but we know Michigan is the more physical, more punishing type of team. And Jim Harbaugh has that team really built in his image. He's built a bully up there in Ann Arbor and they punched them in the mouth last year. When you described that game and the way they took it to them, obviously that's the style of game they're going to have to play. If they want to win this one, if they're able to do that, I think you're right. I think this is a game where Michigan could pull off the upset again. They're going to have to dominate the line of scrimmage like they did last year. But I think this is the team Michigan, like I said, maybe not as talented, but the more physical, the bigger, tougher team. This is such a fun matchup. I am so excited for this one. And I'm so excited once again to have Braden Gall of ESPN radio, Athlon sports and the owner of 440 sports. It's been an absolute blast. Braden, thanks again for coming on the show. 
Yeah, man. Always a pleasure, man. Anytime. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.